I'll tell you, the hands-off CEO way is the rule, not the exception in the sense of really becoming successful. But I also wanted to talk about the power of ones. And this is where these five expectations for your COO really come into play. Because that's the vision. That's the unique value proposition. And you want a COO who's going to align with that, who's going to help you solve the problems that are facing your your ability to execute on that, who's going to actively create and innovate systems to develop that, who's going to look for ways that they can consistently be improving on how that's delivered, and who's going to be managing the team for you so that the whole system isn't reliant on you as the CEO to get that value proposition across the finish line. Is your current success putting a lot of demands on you? If you're good at what you do, and you are, then everyone wants you. But that's no way to scale. If you're delivering spectacular results, you should be commanding higher fees, working with only the best clients. Welcome to the Hands Off CEO Podcast, where world-class agency owners and consultants learn how to fully monetize their expertise and scale profits by doing less. Here's your host, Mandy Ellison. All right, this is Mandy Ellison, host of the Hands Off CEO Podcast. Today I have on the show, Zach Stuckey. We are on here for part two. Just I'll introduce him again. First of all, Zach, welcome to the show again. Thanks for having me, Mandy. I'm super excited to be here again. Yeah, so Zach is our operations advisor for, for our Scale to Freedom program. He is exceptional has an MBA that he specialized specifically in operations, rapid service growth companies, and really exceptional at this. He's been able to help put together plans that add millions of dollars of profits for service companies, really exceptional what he does. And we've been really innovating and up-leveling our programs within Scale to Freedom to really be able to take things to, what is it going to take not just to scale to 5 million or scale to 10 million, but what would it take to actually lay the foundation to go much, much more beyond that? And here's the thing is not all of our clients want to go beyond that, but isn't it nice to know that you have a plan that actually can scale into that level? So that's one of the things that we've been doing. It's been really exciting to have Zach on. This is really part two for when we were talking about last episode. If you didn't catch it, definitely check this out. We're looking at the four traits of an operations manager. So you can go back and listen to that after this if you'd like to. They're not necessarily in sequential order. But we talked about this four traits. What are the base level things that they need to have? in order for you to hire them, for you to develop them and know that they actually have the ability to run your company. And, you know, one of the things that we have seen is like to really be able to scale effectively without going crazy, you really need effective leadership to run your business so that you can actually be able to grow it. We've seen so many mindset things that are blocks around what does it take to really let go and what should you actually expect out of your operations manager? Zach, I know you and I, we were having this conversation about like, there's so many misconceptions. You know, we were just saying in the last episode how we have people come on who say that they'll have conversations with agency owners and say, well, you know, I already have the COO and the COO oftentimes is overtitled <laughs> because these five aspects, the way expectations of an operations manager, they're not even hitting those. So like you really want to get to a point where you have a really solid operations manager in place first and then grow into a COO. And I know that that's something that you have preached on too, Zach, because that was something that you were like, wait, you you don't need this level person. You need to actually focus on this first. Absolutely. You know, all too often we bring people in 
because we want to feel bigger or more important than we are just yet. And what you can be doing is very important, but if you aren't doing the right things in the right order, it can screw things up. And that's what I think you're talking about here. And it becomes actually detrimental to your business. In the last episode, we used the analogy of the conductor of a symphony. If I'm the conductor of a symphony and the symphony is playing Beethoven's Ninth Orchestra and the winds come in at the wrong time and they're playing their own tune and then the strings are playing a totally different orchestra, it's not going to work. And so the thing that makes businesses work is working together towards a common end and the CEO driving that and leading that, just like the good conductor of a symphony. If you bring in someone who is a high-powered COO too early, then they're going to come in and they're going to rest on their laurels. They're not going to be doing the work that they should be doing, which is rolling up their sleeves and actually getting involved in client work sometimes, or actually doing the dirty work of fixing the systems, developing the strategies to actually implement on the vision that the CEO has. There's so many different things and really just start at the beginning with a really good solid ops manager who has those traits that we talked about and who meets these expectations that we're going to discuss today. And we're really at that point, really with a solid foundation. Great. Thanks for sharing that. One of the things I want to just be clear about is like these five roles that you expect out of an operations manager. A lot of these are actually trained roles. And some of that is because really what you're doing is you're giving them ownership. You're giving them ability to actually really run your company and be able to oversee all of the service delivery. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to be involved, but you're going to be involved. They're going to pull you in specifically for certain parts. You're not going to be the one overseeing it to make it happen. I want to make it really clear that this is something that we are actually helping our clients, operations managers step into. So the thing is, is that A lot of times they need this development to be able to do this. Even COOs are oftentimes not doing this. In fact, oftentimes, I'll let you you share more on this, but I know that's one of the things that we've seen is that sometimes the more skilled that they think they are, the bigger the pain in the butt they are. (laughs) Yes, a thousand times yes. The thing that happens is the more experienced we are, the more skilled we are, the more we have to unlearn what we've learned to really fix the problems that we find we're causing in the first place. And it's so true. And that's one of the things that we see. And it's really important because sometimes the very thing that stops some of our CEOs from joining Scheduled Dream, they look at this and they see, oh my gosh, there's so much opportunities here. You guys, this program would literally help me add millions of dollars to my company. But sometimes they have this person niggling in their ear and saying, we don't need that. You know, when they're like trying to be the cost savings person to like add their value in. What they're doing is they're saying, geez, for that much, you should be getting much more than that. Oh, yeah. And so they're coming in and they're in their insecurity, downplaying this amazing solution that can really transform the business. And we don't see that all that often. But one of the biggest things that we have seen is, is that a CFO or an ops manager or someone who has some sway stopping the CEO from making the decision that will make, because they're saying, well, you know what, let's just try this thing first. And really what they're trying to do is they're trying to protect their turf. They're protecting their turf as opposed to like really being that vision builder. And it really is more about their ego and making sure that they don't have to really like get uncomfortable and grow. So that's something to be really aware of is like, if you have a team that is resistant to change, 
you have a vision for wanting to do something, what they should be saying is, all right, this is how we can help you make this happen. They shouldn't be saying, well, we shouldn't do this because this is outside of the budget of this. It's like, no, make it happen. What is it going to take for you to make it be within the budget? Does that mean you need to take make another sale? It's just looking at when you want to do growth initiatives, it's important that you have the support of your team and that they are looking at ways to support you as opposed to being like that, that drag. I want to be clear on this one because I think that one thing that people could be hearing is that if my team ever says no to me, then they're not a vision builder. That's just not the case at all. If you're coming in, it's literally two days before product launch and you're coming in as the CEO and you're like, we got to innovate this and that and the other. And they're like, whoa, okay, let's take this across the finish line and then we can have that conversation. They're still a vision builder. And even more so because what they're saying is, You've got this vision. Let's finish this vision first before we start on that vision. And we can do that vision. They're not saying, no, we can't do that. We can still do that vision, but let's focus where we're at right now. So I just wanted to be sure that just because your team says no doesn't mean that they're turf built. Oh, no. Thank you so much for that distinction, too, because... I know you and MJ, our program director, you guys at minimum should tell me no weekly. <laughs> Especially when we're working on something big, you're like, yeah, we're not doing that. <laughs> like, but not because they're shooting me down, but because they're saying, hey, this is the vision that you set this vision. And for us to be able to accomplish it by this deadline that we set, this is what we need to do. And so um, it's really a matter of accountability at that point, not necessarily that we're anti-vision. It's actually being servants to the vision and saying, hey, you know what? Let's make an alignment. Are you wanting to change the vision here? If that's the case, we can change the vision. But like, if you want to keep the vision here and you want to keep the deadline here, this is what's going to need to happen. And that's the kind of pushback that's really helpful. But it takes a real assertive leaders to be able to do that and to stand up to the CEO too. Yeah, I think that that really fits in line with that expectation number one. Okay, so let's get into these five roles and we'll go through them. So the five expectations, what you should expect out of a good, solid operations manager, obviously a COO as well. We've talked about this already, but they need to be able to take your vision and lead the team to turn it into reality. So take the vision and lead the team into turning into reality. Absolutely. This is critical. They have to be able to take your vision and know how to ask the right questions and clarify the expectations so that they can build on the vision and have the team execute on it. That's a non-negotiable. The second role that your expectation of them is that they need to be solving problems before you're even aware of them. I was sharing a little earlier. They can read your mind. They're looking that far ahead. MJ on our team, she's our program director. She's constantly looking at several steps ahead. It's like she can read my mind. It's so cool to be able to just like open up my inbox and just see this something that I'm just like, oh my gosh, you like thought about before you even had a chance to think about it, you know? And one of our mantras at Hands Off CEO is bring solutions, not problems. That's one of the key first things that our clients' teams actually get trained on. How should they be interacting with, this is the whole team. So it's not just you solving problems, but it's actually leading the team in coming up with creative solutions without being spoon-fed. One of the things that I think we can add to this is that it's the problems surrounding the implementation of the vision. So they're not actively out there looking for every potential problem that you could have because that's an exhausting job that will demoralize anyone. What they're actually looking for is they're saying, this is where you want to go, CEO. I believe in that vision too. So these are the problems that are going to stop us from getting there. 
these are the solutions. I've talked with the team. This is what we think would really solve these problems. What do you think? Can we implement these? It really is the CEO empowering the team, the ops manager or the COO to really do that and to really trust that they have a clear enough grasp on that vision that they can do that. And so this really requires the CEO to really own that vision communication and make sure that you can feel and trust that they know what the vision is. You and I, Mandy, as we've worked together with Hands Off CEO, we've had several sessions where it's really just, okay, let me download the vision. What's the vision that you've got? Where are we going next? And then we talk about, okay, as an operations advisor, this is what I recommend in terms of how to actually implement that. And then we go to the team and we say, okay, this is what we're doing. And then they talk about problems and it's a, it's a whole thing, but it is all centered around that vision. The third one is to profitably run the business, be a repeatable system that they can lead the team in creating and innovating. So there's a number of aspects there. And I probably want to read that again, just so that we really get the distinctions here. So profitably run the business based on a repeatable system that they lead the team in creating and innovating. So a whole lot there. And that's very different than like run the business. Because here's the thing. What happens if you just have someone run the business and it's not based on a process? (laughs) That's chaos. (laughs) That's the inmates running the asylum there. Well, and here's the other thing is, is that what if it's not chaos though? I've certainly experienced before having a really good manager in place who manages the company, but it based on processes that was inside of this person's head. So the only thing that's worse than a company that's totally dependent on you as the CEO is a company that's dependent on a manager who you have no, there's no processes for it. And I'm not saying there were no process, but there's processes, but there were gaps. There were gaps. And you um, don't know what those gaps are because all you see is stuff getting done. Right. So it's something you want. And here's the reality is that sometimes we have that as gaps. We have someone jump in there, they figure it out, and there's going to be times between when processes are actually built out. Sometimes you do that just to stay afloat and to be able to keep moving forward. But it's important that this person is leading the team in creating and innovating. And that's one of the things that you've been leading the teams in our double-year capacity program and, you know, really teaching them how to create processes, but how to innovate the process too. So often we're seeing CEOs going in there and creating the processes. And then what happens if the CEO is the one creating the processes? Well, if the CEO is the one creating the process, then the process is reliant on the CEO, which means that that's less time that they get to work on growing the company and building the company, which means that they're going backward instead of toward the outcomes that they want in the first place. Yeah. So we see a lot of times very well-meaning CEOs saying, you know, I need to hire these people. But before that, I've just got to break down all these processes, put them all together, and then I'll be ready to hire this person. So we see that as a bit of a flawed way of thinking because you're right, the processes are dependent on the CEO, but then also if they're dependent on the CEO, then the processes, they have a shelf life between about three months and 18 months, just depending on the speed of growth in the company, you know, how fast you're innovating. So what's going to happen is that the CEO gets pulled in every time you need to innovate that process. That's one of the things that we see with this lumpy cash flow that the CEO cannot actually generate more growth because they're constantly being pulled back into the company in all these different areas. And that's one of the things that we actually have included in this double-year capacity curriculum, 
is exactly how your operations managers can do this. You know, how they can profitably run the business based on a repeatable system that they lead the team in creating and innovating. And that creation and innovation, just like you've highlighted, is the vital part. They have to be the ones championing the creation and the innovation to free up the CEO. One of the things that you're seeing is the biggest difference between an operations manager has the ability to really run the business and to be able to innovate versus one that's just more of like a passive. They're more like a project manager. What is the difference that you're seeing, the key difference? The difference that I'm seeing is the level of ownership that those people are taking and the willingness to change that those people have. So people who are just going to stay in a project management role forever will never take more responsibility than that project management. And when you come into them and say, hey, you know, I'd really like to see this, they'll, they'll give you pushback hard because they're outside of their element and they get scared. But the people who are able to grow into a really powerful operations manager and eventually a COO are saying, yeah, let's do it. Let's figure it out. I love your vision. Let's make it happen. And they're really taking on that responsibility and then they're executing on it. So it's not just saying, yeah, give me this responsibility so that I can have the title. It's, I want the ownership of what's going on. I want to be able to take your vision and have ownership of it from A to Z so that it gets done. Because I can see how important and valuable that is to the world. And it really is just that level of ownership. And I love what you shared about the ownership. This is actually something that was interesting that we had in our team meeting today. The one member of our team, she actually came in on in the business at like the level of a VA, right? Didn't have as much, didn't have terrible, a terrible amount of experience, but we gave her a chance because she just had a great attitude and really, really wanted, she, she was hungry. She wanted to make it happen. She's now been with the company several years now, and she was sharing about ownership and the culture that we're creating in our company and how we're protecting that and the expectation of ownership. And she was sharing how she had grown through, and she used the the term soldier. I actually love this. She's like, is this person showing up like a soldier where they're just given orders and just going and doing it? Or are they someone who actually can own it and who actually are going to be looking, overseeing the whole thing? And this is someone who has really taken on an enormous amount of responsibility over the years. And it's just been incredible to see her shift in her mindset over going from a place where, you know, she probably would have considered herself a real soldier to now being in a place where she's really overseeing. And one of the things that she said was just how rewarding it was, how rewarding it was for her to be able to give 150% was actually to quote her because she just felt like she had so much to contribute. And it was a real matter of pride. That is one of the factors we want to be looking for in our leaders. Yes, absolutely. And that ownership will naturally lead them to lead the team because they see the importance of really making this happen. And they'll take all aspects, ownership of all aspects, from the internal customer to the external customer, the clients that you have. All right, so number four, Improve quality for clients as the company scales. Improve quality for the clients as the company scales and continually look for ways to increase profits. So a couple things right here. One of them, improving quality for clients as the company scales. We don't often see that in service companies, do we? We often see the opposite, don't we? Oh, absolutely. Because what ends up happening is people, once they get a little bit of success, they get afraid that they're going to lose it. And so instead of being willing to take the risks and expose the failures of the system as it is so that it can improve, 
they hold on to their little fiefdom, the little creation that they have, and they won't admit any of those mistakes or failures. And so improving quality for clients around the value proposition, and I call this out because there's a difference between what I call feature creep, which is adding a whole bunch of bells and whistles to what you do because you think they're really nifty and, oh, the client might enjoy it. And actually understanding your unique selling proposition, your power of ones, our power of ones, and building value and improving the system around that, that's the difference there. Because as the company scales and you're constantly focused on improving the quality of what we do for our clients, if we're constantly focused on that, then we're going to naturally increase profitability. That's just a given across the board. People come to us, people come to any business because they're looking for solutions to problems that they have. And if you understand that problem and continually find ways to solve that problem better than anyone else, if we're doing that, then they're not going to go anywhere else because they're constantly satisfied with that. Yeah, that's a really great way to be thinking about that. And on the side of continually looking for ways to increase profits, I want to give a story. I was talking to a CEO recently who was sharing their There was this one thing that this one software we could put in place, we could choose this one over an existing one that we were doing. It have saved us about fifteen dollars to $20,000 a year. So that pure profit saving. Now she shared with me, she's like, the team knew about this, but they didn't actually think it would be a good idea to do this. Now it's looking at, and this goes back to, you know, solving problems before you're, you're even aware of them, but you want to have an operations manager who is looking at ways to continually improve the company and keeping an eye out for that and actually really caring about it as if it's their own. Absolutely. And the thing that I use when we talk about stuff like this is the concept of force multipliers. So force multipliers in physics are things like a pulley or a lever. And it's you put in a certain amount of work and it actually multiplies the resultant force that comes off of that. Hence, force multiplier. Well, it's the same concept with technology and everything else. We can get a new technology that's all bells and whistles, but what we really need is to focus on something that's it's going to multiply the results that we generate with the same amount of work. And so, you know, you're constantly on the lookout as an operations manager for these force multipliers for your team. You're constantly aware of the struggles that they're going through so that you can come to them and say, hey, you know, I found this software solution or I've been thinking about your problem and I found this. Do you think that if we use this tool right now that you'd be able to get more done? Well, yeah, or no, I, or maybe, maybe it's worth a little bit of investigation. But having that concept and that focus around force multipliers really prevents you from getting shiny object syndrome. And that's a concern that we can have here is that as we're looking to increase bandwidth, improve systems and everything else, it's really easy to get caught in the trap of shiny object syndrome. I love that because really there's all sorts of different things that we could be doing to improve the company, but it's a really great litmus test. So like, is this actually a force multiplier? If it is, yes, let's do this. And if it's not, then let's put this off. I mean, there's always going to be those things that are going to be put off, like small changes that yes, it'll improve, but at what cost? I mean, you know what? For example, you know, we've had our CRM system that we don't love, but you know what? We are like heavily entrenched in it. And the cost of moving it over to a different software, even if it's cheaper, even if it does things better, even if it has a little bit better open rates, all of these things, we have to look at that and evaluate, 
is this going to be a force multiplier to move over to this? And, yes. and if it's not, then we have to look at that and say the opportunity cost is just too high. Right. And that's the key around all of this improvement is you can have incremental improvement. And yes, small changes add up to big impact. But there's an inverted relationship here where if it's a small change and it takes a little bit of time to make that change, yes, it'll have a big impact. If it's a small change and takes a big amount of time to have that impact, then it's not worth it. And that's where, again, that litmus test of those force multipliers comes to play. And the other part of this too is that there's sometimes where the small change, the longer term, it can be really be worth it as long as it's not the operations manager, the one actually doing it. This is where there's a real opportunity to be delegating out to the rest of the team and to utilizing that. And also to be able to have those things in your team, like those pressure release valves that allow you to to increase your capacity and decrease it as you need to. And those are some things that we all were always looking for those resources for our tribe for how do you be able to have these resources to be able to support you as you continue to scale? And that's something that an operations manager should always be on the lookout for. So how do we continually be increasing the capacity so we can actually keep up with the growth? Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. So, and that ties perfectly into the fifth one, which is our final one for manage your team for you so that you can stop being the bottleneck and have bandwidth to grow the company. Their job is to manage the team. Now, here's the thing about us as CEOs. They're, we're great leaders. We're kind of crappy managers though. And that's one of the things that, one of the big mindset shifts that I see a lot of our CEOs make and they realize, oh my gosh, I don't have to be a good manager. I don't have to be in the weeds making sure everybody's doing this, holding everyone to account to like make sure these things are happening. Your job is not even to like put in place the quarterly plans and all that. It's not your job. That's the operations manager's job. When I really finally understood that, oh my gosh, it's such a load off. It absolutely is because you don't have to be all things to all people anymore. That's what a good operations manager is able to help you do. That really is the key is that they're able to step in and manage the team and operate in their strength. You know, one of the things that we talk about in Double Your Capacity is how to create high-performing teams. And one of the things that we talk about as characteristic of a high-performing team is that these teams are readily sharing their responsibilities and tasks so that if you get a task that's outside of your strength, but it's in my strength, you'll come to me and say, Hey, Zach, I've got this job that I need to be doing. What do you recommend I do? This is definitely outside of my wheelhouse. I know that you're really good at this. Can you help me with this? And I'll say, yes, absolutely, Mandy. I'd be happy to. And so that's what you're doing is you're creating the very beginnings of that where you're saying, I'm not a good manager. I own that. But you are. And so you're not a good visionary person, but I am. You're good at understanding a vision and taking a vision and running with it. But let's work together to really create something bigger than ourselves. And that's what you're doing here is you're finding someone who can really accentuate and complement your weaknesses with their strengths and vice versa. Right. And here's the thing is, is that the best visionaries, the best the people who have the biggest ideas, they absolutely require someone who is in this role. Sometimes people call it an integrator. Sometimes they, you need to have someone who's going to be able to take this vision and be able to execute it. And there are plenty of people out there who want to be that way, who really want to do that. And one person I'll, I'll use an ex- as an example, this is Richard Branson. So Richard Branson, he has ADHD. He is not 
someone who's good at the details at all, if you've read any of his books or listened to some of his interviews, and he's incredibly successful. And how he's successful is he's been able to stay in his visionary role and he's been able to utilize other people to be able to actually like execute these visions and to be able to help generate these ideas and expand them on bigger levels. And this is really what's possible as a hands-off CEO. And it's a really incredible place to be in. That's just something that I wish that CEOs understood that pathway up to like that first million, it's rough. It's rough. And at different places along the way there. But when you get in the place, the right leadership, it makes the business so much simpler. And you can afford the right leadership when you focus on, you had mentioned the power of once, and I'm just going to define what that is. When you're focusing on the right client who has the specific type of problem that you want to solve, you want to solve really painful problems that they're willing to pay top dollar to solve and that you're delivering them a really big outcome. And this is what encompasses this unique selling proposition, this way of being able to have this positioning in the market as being the very top. And we had someone in Facebook earlier this week said, they define it as when your offer is so good that your prospects will crawl onto broken glass to be able to get it. (laughs) And (laughs) that's the level of offer that you want to have. And that's what made it possible for many of our clients to actually create wait lists. They have so much demand And it's allowed them to increase their price points and increase their profitability so much that the cash flow to hire the right people is no longer a problem. Exactly. And I want to add to this, jumping back to this Richard Branson example, people would cite on the flip side, Steve Jobs and say, yeah, well, Steve Jobs, he was so deeply involved in everything that he did. And he created a company that was larger than the economy of Poland. And it's like, Yeah, but Steve Jobs had one horrible home life and people hated it. People would refuse to ride the elevator with that man. And we often actually misunderstand what he was doing. He was so deeply ingrained in his vision that it wasn't micromanagement. It was, I know what the vision is and you're going to make the vision. There's some language to be had there about that. But again, I don't want people to get this idea that you can just be a jerk and a really, really bad CEO and, and just say, yeah, well, I'm focused on the vision and then micromanage and everything else. Because he's one out of literally hundreds of successful CEOs. And I'll tell you, the hands-off CEO way is the rule, not the exception in the sense of really becoming successful. But I also wanted to talk about the power of ones. And this is where these five expectations for your COO really come into play. Because that's the vision. That's the unique value proposition. And you want a COO who's going to align with that, who's going to help you solve the problems that are facing your your ability to execute on that, who's going to actively create and innovate systems to develop that, who's going to look for ways that they can consistently be improving on how that's delivered, and who's going to be managing the team for you so that the whole system isn't reliant on you as the CEO to get that value proposition across the finish line. Love it. This is a really great place for us to wrap up. Zach, thanks so much for sharing that. That's really powerful. So these five things, just we'll just run down them real quick again. The expectations you should have for a really solid operations manager is they've got to be able to take your vision 
and lead your team to turn it into reality. They've got to be able to solve problems before you're even aware of them. They've got three. They've got to be able to profitably run your business based on repeatable systems that they're leading the team in creating and innovating. And four, they've got to improve quality for clients as the company scales and really be looking for ways to increase profits, like proactively looking for ways. And five, they're managing the team for you so that you can stop being the bottleneck and really have the bandwidth to be able to grow the company. So those are the five expectations that you should have of your operations manager. Now, maybe you already have this person in place and you're just like, this is the right person. They they just need some more development. Or maybe you're like, wow, I need to find this right person, but I don't really know what the next step is on this. I'm really at this place where we want to scale. We want to make sure we have that right team in place so we can focus on growth. And I want to make sure our offers are in the right place so that they can actually scale and we have that profitability there. If you're at that place, like I really encourage you to reach out to our team, have a conversation. We can really look at and assess what's going on in your business and see what your next step is. If you're at that place, I really encourage you to apply to have a scalable growth visioning call with our team. And if you if that sounds like a good fit for you, go to handsoffceo.com forward slash apply. And that will give you an opportunity to book in a time there and have that conversation with our team. And we can really come up with some some great strategies for your next steps to scale your consulting agency. So this is Mandy Ellison and Zach. Zach Stuckey. Signing off. Thanks so much for being here and have a fantastic day.